Greetings and welcome to Best Cultural Destinations podcast, People Are Culture. I'm Meg Pierre, host of this interview series, which presents stories of how culture is created, preserved, and shared, one person at a time. People Are Culture podcast celebrates our unique differences and shared human condition and reveals that while the phenomenon of culture is universal, its meaning is personal. Georgia Nicolau is a Brazilian activist and a researcher in the fields of culture, arts, politics, and citizen innovation. She is the co-founder and co-director of the Procomum Institute, an organization based on the concept of the common. Procomum offers workshops and lectures and promotes discussions on themes related to the common, such as alternative economies, cultural network production, free culture, and technology. Between 2013 and 2016, Georgia was the Director of Management, Entrepreneurship, and Innovation at the Brazilian National Ministry of Culture and Deputy Secretary of Creative Economy and Cultural Policies. Georgia was one of the articulators of House of Digital Culture, where she coordinated the research and interviews of the multimedia project Cultural Production in Brazil. In 2013, as a fellow of the Alexander Rave Foundation, Georgia was part of the innovation team at the largest art and technology festival in Germany, the Transmediale. Since 2013, she is part of the Global Innovation Gathering Network, bringing together innovators and entrepreneurs from around the world with a focus on the global south. In 2017, Georgia was selected as a global cultural leader by the European Union. It is a pleasure to welcome Georgia to the People Are Culture podcast. Georgia, thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Best Cultural Destinations People Are Culture podcast. Thank you, Meg. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I would love to start with um, my first question, which is a big one, um, and that is, what is culture? How do you define it? Wow. <laughs> well, um, for me, culture is um, um, everything we produce uh, and everything we are um, in the sense of like has makes us exist beyond our biological uh, body. So everything that we believe, so all the ideas, the spirituality, the things we eat, the way we talk, our language, uh, the way we move, the, the way you move your hand while you're talking, and the way countries organize themselves. For me, everything is culture. I have a, I have a vision really broad of culture in the sense of... Um, and I know this is polemic. I mean, if you enter into the academic concept of it, you'll see a lot of different approaches in sociology or anthropology. But um, I like the really broad uh, terms of cultures, uh, the things that's, uh, that are not biological or not natural, and, um, and also it, what makes us, uh, each of us unique and the experience is unique. And, so, yeah, basically this, but I could go further if you'd like me to. Well, I think that that's um, actually very all-encompassing. And um, I, I, I would ask if you could share why you feel culture matters. I mean, you've somewhat addressed that um, in what you've already said, but um, I'd love your thoughts on, on why it's important and why it matters. Well, I think the the contrary of uh, like if if you for me, culture is the essence um, of of humanity in the sense it's what makes us um, humans at first place and what gives us names and it's also a thing that unites us and for me. The opposite of like, uh, if I mean, not valuing culture is, uh, it's what le leads us to some tragic 
uh, moments, uh, including some of the, the ones we are living now. Like, I mean, it doesn't, I'll give you an example, a really objective one. Um, one of the first symbolic uh, actions of my of the current Brazilian president was to extinguish the Ministry of Culture of Brazil. And I think this is really symbolic in the sense of, uh, like, culture is, uh, makes us go further as humanity, is, makes us uh, have empathy to each other, makes us build things together, makes us use our creativity and our ideas to change, be able to change and transform. And, and for me, if we don't take this into account, then it's barbarianism, it's, it's, it's the potence of death. And, uh, and for me, culture is the, 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 it's life in itself, you know? And um, I don't know, for me, it's essential. I, I don't see how can someone not see the, why culture matters. <laughs> so I think sometimes, so it's even more difficult for me because how how come? I mean, of course, even the ones that say they're not they, that culture doesn't matter, they know it matters. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so scared of it. Right. Well, culture, in a lot of ways, is power. Um, and um, I'm kind of shocked to hear what you just said that uh, there's no longer a ministry for culture in Brazil. Um, that seems shocking. Um, so I share your your kind of despair at that. Um, you know, I guess I often think of culture as, um, you know, it's it's how we identify and how we individuate um, and how we express both of those things. Um, so I feel it's absolutely essential. Um, I want to um, begin talking a little bit about uh, Procomum. Um, which um, um, I know is based on a concept of the common, uh, which uh, is a, a concept I first learned about from a Spanish archaeologist I interviewed. I'm not sure that it's very uh, widely, there's not a lot of wide awareness of it in the United States. Um, can you describe what the concept is and give a little history of the concept and its use around the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, so the commons is, uh, so you have a lot of uh, different um, study lines and academic approaches, conceptual approaches. Uh, but the concept we use in Intracommun is that commons is everything um, that is not public or private in the sense that I think uh, one of the things that I really like to, when I first started like working with the commons, is that the modernity makes made us thought think that there's only two ways of dealing with things: either public or private, or either the state or the market. Uh, and in fact, you have a long history of uh, self-managed resources of communities that um, uh, were using, for example, lands and natural resources uh, as a common piece of land. So the word commons uh, is, c comes from the feudal lands, like in England, for example, that you had like communal, communal lands where, let's say, we all took our animals and we share that land and that finished it when someone came and put a fence on it. So also it reflects a lot about uh, what's property and who says what is property, who owns what and why do we have to own it? And like, why can't we use it instead of own it? So for me, the commons opened a lot of uh, good reflections and made me unlearn a lot of things that I took for granted. Uh, in this, in the, in the, in the, I mean, political approach or even culturally approach. So the commons is everything that is commons to all of us. So that includes natural resources. So the water, the air, the land, 
but also includes intangible resources, so our language, art, the culture we create, um, uh, the, the ideas we have. Uh, and um, the first uh, time I, I got in touch with the concept was actually connected to the internet. So creative commons. So yes. yeah, a bunch of lawyers uh, created the creative commons to uh, oppose themselves to copyrights. So it was a revolution in the sense of, uh, okay, I can create something and I can share it with different levels of what does it mean property? What does it mean mine? And then I could, I can create my art and put it in the internet and you can share it with non-commercial values, for example. And that uh, was really revolutionary for the ones that were believing in free culture, free access of knowledge, which is really also uh, where I come from. Part of my history is connected to free access of knowledge. So knowledge is for everybody. We shouldn't privatize knowledge. So this is the first time I got in touch with the commons. And then um, why we chose the concept is also connected to the times we're living. Uh, I mean, if you look at Latin America, I think, uh, of course, I mean, we could, we could look at the world, but I would take my country as an example as um, the, the state and the market are super connected. So how can we create the solutions among ourselves uh, for the future? You know, because to think of short term is desperate. But if we think about medium and long term, you know, we are, we have creativity enough and we create solutions every day. So how can we create our commons, our commons and protect them and uh, create solutions, including governance governance solution. So a lot of the concept is connected to people that were studying governance. So one really important person in the commons uh, uh, concept is actually American, uh, US woman. She, her name is Eleanor Ostrom. So mm -hmm. she was, uh, she actually, she was a, a political scientist. She actually in 2009, she won the economy uh, Nobel, similar to the Nobel. Ah. Okay. With the work that was actually uh, dealing with the systematization of uh, different uh, models of uh, common um, goods uh, management, uh, governance. So she actually went through the world and systematized a lot of examples of places and natural resources that have been managed by, uh, self-managed by communities. And she actually showed that they were more efficient than either privatize them or state them. So, Interesting. Yeah, so that, uh, I mean, she actually is a pioneer in uh, promoting this kind of research, multidisciplinary research. So you have political scientists, lawyers, architects. So a lot of uh, different people studying this new institutionalism uh, um, from uh, self-organization and cooperation. And she actually came to a really interesting systematization of eight design principles to, uh, to, to governing the commons. So she, she, um, she, she got some things that were common to a lot of uh, people and communities she were studying, and she, and she systematized them. So it's really interesting to, to read. And, uh, and she founded the International Association for the Study of the Commons, which is uh, active now until these days, and which is really interesting. The next meeting will be in Peru, uh, in Lima, in July. We will be there. The last one was in uh, Utrecht, in uh, Netherlands, uh, 2017. We were also there. And it's amazing to see the, the, the quantity of people that are actually studying or practicing the commons uh, throughout the world. And that includes... Uh, community gardens that include uh, uh, lawyers that are working inside Bologna, Mary in uh, Italy to come up to new laws of, um, spa of uh, spaces that are not private, totally private or not totally uh, from the state. So uh, uh, different models of governance with the co-production of politics. Uh, this includes people that are studying, studying like uh, fisher villages that are um, or, 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 for example, uh, places that are 
environmentally protected and how the indigenous people protect them even better if they were just uh, from uh, belonging to the state. So you have all different, uh, you have uh, com urban commons, so uh, squares that were abandoned, then suddenly a neighborhood took care of it and among the, and the community shared the resources and actually turned the square that was first empty into a super uh, conviviality space where people go and, and be together. So you have a lot of different approaches to it. And the way we work in, in the Procommun is that we also think that beyond um, uh, the fact that it's a, a political view of things, it's also a governance model, but it's also a cultural uh, a, a cultural uh, transformation because it's a result of a process based on fraternity, meaning uh, a tutorial for a life of joy and imagination. Uh, and it's also a collective effort of uh, humans and their creations to co-inhabit the earth among uh, nature, so not separate to it. So we really, from our perspective, from the South perspective, we, we take into account a lot the concept of bem viver, bien vivir in Espanol, in Spanish, or bem viver in Portuguese, or in English would be uh, a good living. And a good living is something that, um, it's not a good living in terms of having your own apartment, your own car, or your own house, or it's a good living in the sense of you live with plenitude, you live, uh, you respect nature, and you respect, uh, and you live in communion with your peers, and you have freedom to create. It's a socio-ecological system, let's say. So, in, in this is a bit uh, also reflects also our core values at the organization. Well, I have to say, um, you have just said so much. And um, to step back a little bit um, in terms of uh, the American economists who kind of pioneers this movement, um, I have to say, I find it so heartening that someone has been able to identify eight um, philosophies um, that have been successful in terms of people, um, you know, sharing and, and having mutual responsibility for their resources and a way of life. And, you know, I think today with the divisiveness that's taking place around the world um, to, um, you know, uh, have such work being done. I mean, I'm I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I'm not more familiar with it than I am, um, and that I that I haven't heard more about it. Um, but I think it's it's you know certainly um, very very much uh, an approach that much of the world hungers for. Um, and I'm thinking of something that I'm familiar with in Scotland, which maybe is. Um, somewhat in the spirit of what you're talking about, that um, they have a um, uh, an approach, it may even be a legal construct, called the right to roam, so that, you know, people are free to cross, you know, anyone's land, um, you know, as part of their journey. Um, and of course, here in the United States, you know, so many people are concerned about their private property and, you know, trespassing and the the concept behind the right to roam is that, you know, you trust each other and, you know, you're allowing someone to make their way to where they're going by by crossing um, your property. Um can you get? Can you share an overview of uh, Procomum and when it was founded and what its mission is? Yeah, just one quick uh, comment first of all, what you were saying. I think it's really interesting then just say that you should, that you, because you trust people. Because for me, it's a it's a matter of premise. So whenever people t tell me, oh, um, oh, but humans are bad. Uh, by nature, I say, yeah, but this is also an ideology. This is not uh, to be taken for granted. This is also someone taught you that. And this is also a way of, of looking at us as humans. So 
it's really interesting also because the, the, the commons and all the studies behind it and all the practice behind it, it's also uh, calling our attention to who told us that we are mean and we should be competing. Okay, of course you have, you, uh, you always have a role researches, but you also have researchers that are saying not, that we are actually cooperative people. So I think this is really interesting actually because in the end it's also a political dispute of ideology of uh, oh, where are we going and, and why, how, how these ideas have been used over the years to build uh, control and to build um, economical systems that are super oppressive. So just a quick comment. So, so Pro Comun, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I would also say it's not just a um, sociological or political point of view, it's a spiritual point of view. Um, I mean, you know, you tend to find what you're looking for. And if you're choosing trust versus choosing suspicion, you know, that's a way of life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. And that is, it's really mind blowing in the sense that because it's also our choice, you know, in the end. And then how can we help our ourselves among ourselves to you know remind us like why why are we here and like actually how can you be responsive and responsible in terms of if you want people to to believe in the human in humans and trust people then you should be trustworthy also and that makes you be want to be even more uh better to the world i don't know for me at least it works like this you know i want to be someone that exactly that is actually doing what she's saying that is actually coherent with my actions, and 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 looking at this uh, as as a, a apprentice, like looking at life as someone who has things to learn and not knowing all the answers. So yeah, for me it changes perspective of how I I am in the world, and I think it's also connected to Procomun because so this is connected to our trajectory. So I have a, a co-founder. His his name is Rodrigo. He, I mean, we have a different but similar uh, trajectories. We are both uh, journalists from graduation and we, we both uh, worked uh, in different uh, collectives, so civil society initiatives, but also public policy. So I, w I was part of the government, federal level. He was also part of uh, an agency at the government, but he was also part of the municipality. Uh, uh, he worked for the city council in Sao Paulo, but we also worked for private uh, um, companies for a while. So we, we wrote, we, we were, used to be reporters also in big uh, journal, uh, journal, uh, uh, companies. So we have, uh, so we, but we have like a trajectory that is always being working between communication, politics, arts and culture, and technology, uh, and of course politics and. And then um, in 2015, he left his, uh, his role at the city council. And then he started this, uh, we started talking a lot about, okay, the, the, the challenges that we're facing now need new kinds of institutions. Uh, so the institutions, the civil society institutions, the NGOs are not, are not being able to to, to carry on the, the challenges uh, and neither is being the, 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 the government anymore and the state. So, so what's, what's, what's been going on in the world? What can we bring it on and uh, from our experience, what we don't want to repeat? And then in 2016, I left the government just one month before uh, the president Dilma actually uh, we had a coup in Brazil, and then the vice president, they impeached the president Dilma, and then the vice president uh, became president, and that was the beginning of uh, a lot of processes that actually led us to having Bolsonaro, extreme far uh, uh, right-wing uh, president nowadays. And then I left the government, and then um, me and Rodrigo, we said, okay, let's start something together. Uh, and then already with the idea of the commons, so we don't want to be a state uh, uh, arm, but we also don't want to be, you know, uh, totally uh, the market. So what's what's in between? What's the what's there to left that for us to do? And how can we invent a new future? So since the beginning, we 
have this value of experimentation. So, okay, our premise is that we need new institutional models. We are, sorry for the word, but we are fucked up. I mean, look at what's going on. So how can we do something that is different? Of course, always valuing who came before. We don't want to reinvent the, the wheels or reinvent story. But to see, I mean, let's, let's, let's exercise our imagination. Let's not lose our power of creativity, imagination, and let's not stop believing that it's possible to change and create better futures for us and for civil society, and then thinking about what's the role of civil society nowadays. So we have some main values. Uh, one of them is uh, collaboration, of course, is at the core of the things we do. So uh, including that, uh, the way of governance of the organization, our processes, how do we strengthen people and projects so in a way that they cooperate uh, with uh, among each other, uh, forming uh, network networked communities. So, and why networked communities? I, I think this is really important because I believe communities are really important, but they are super also uh, oppressive, and now sometimes could be super self-referent. So, like let for example, families super. I mean, they are super interesting. They, they 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 take care of us, but also can be super oppressive because it's a community. Everybody's uh, oh, you have a, your own place there. You cannot change. And networks are more loose and uh, bring new airs. So we really believe in this this meeting among different people. So networked communities, a lot of communities relating to each other. So you keep the move, you keep the dynamics. We believe a lot right. in free knowledge. Sorry. No, I'm I'm thinking, you know, um, whether it's a community or whether it's a family, it's a closed system. And so, you know, I appreciate what you're saying about the idea of a network. Um, there's a flow of new information and shared information. And, you know, in closed systems, you know, things can get out of whack. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but um, the thing is, sorry, can you say it again? No, I, I just said it's fascinating what you're sharing. Oh, yeah, thank you. And, and we're actually experimenting that. So all of these that I'm saying, I'm talking about values, but they're super more not that tangible. But we are, so we have also free knowledge, uh, diver, diversity of gender and race, citizen innovation, and care. So care is a really big part of us uh, Caring for each, uh, for ourselves, so self-care, caring for each other, caring for the, the space, caring for the earth. And then we have a space, we have a lab, a citizen innovation lab, which is a, actually a physical space of uh, 1,500 square meters where we experiment all of this on a daily basis with different communities. So we have a permaculture lab, we have a hacker space, we have artistic residency. We have different projects going on. We have uh, um, music uh, working group. We have audiovisual working group. So we have different working groups, people that are uh, going there, developing projects on a long-term basis, engaging other people. And this is also where we experiment a lot of these values and actually inhabit the values that we bring with the conflicts that it comes from. So we say our mission is to promote the encounter between the different. And this is really hard work. And sometimes you want to give up because it's really hard. Uh, uh, but this is also where most of our serendipity emotional moments comes from when you actually see people that you would never thought that would collaborate or cooperate, doing things together and changing their lives and changing their territories. And this is super powerful. And this is something that is not easily destroyable because it's human connection and ideas taking shape and actually um, taking the world in, in the form of uh, projects, in the form of products, in the form of new ideas. So that's fantastic. So can you give an example of um, 
you know, two conflicting uh, groups who you bring together um, and how the process works and what one of those moments of connection might might have been? Well, I have a lot of examples. There's one that I like to tell is that um, we had a uh, resident artist last year. She was a performer from Brazil. She's a black woman, and a lot of her work is... Is, is about being a black woman, it's about racism, it's about sexism, it's about misogyny, it's about uh, humiliation and oppression, but it's also about freedom, it's about owning your own body, it's about uh, speaking about things and not having fear anymore. So it's really a strong but also super political work. And she was resident in our space and... At some point, she started um, go to the meetings of the hackerspace, which is actually a group of white male heterosexual dudes, geeks that are working uh, in the, like throughout the night until morning in, in little things, microprocessors and uh, Arduinos and numbers and things that you don't even understand. And then she began to go to their meetings and she actually loved them. They loved her and they began to actually collaborate uh, in a part of her, um, the, the body for her, the, the clothes for her performance. So she, they made a, a crown that uh, with the lights and she was actually, they actually taught her to do it and it was super like uh, super interesting to see how she related to them at some mm. point, and they would never thought, okay, she does. Why this group of people never be in the same space together, for example? Right. Or for example, uh, one of our other residents was a guy from um, Malaysia, Australian Malaysia, Sumugan. He didn't know how to speak Portuguese, uh, and then. Um, he was resident there. He was cooking lunch. He was, he had like a work related to permaculture. And then he went to visit uh, our partners from uh, indigenous territory. And he went to speak with the Guarani uh, people with uh, ethnicity. And the guy didn't speak Portuguese either. And they actually had a conversation. And we don't mm. know actually what came out of it in terms of how they understood. But the fact is they understood each other. And it was a very strong moment also of connection and of uh, understanding things through food and mm. through uh, culture. And not so much about being rational or literal about things. Right. And do you think these moments or, or experiences occurred simply because there was a shared space? I think there's something is really important, which is the shared space, of course. But it's also, I really think our work of mediation is important. I mean, we were not only a free space, but we're also trying to connect people and trying to uh, bring it all together with the people that are there to co-produce the, the protocols that makes us live and create better together. So I think... Right, you're, yeah. you're setting the, um, the atmosphere. Exactly, together with the people. But uh, I really believe in the mediation uh, work. I think mediation is a really important work in the in the days i mean in france they have these cultural mediators i mean in and i mean don't get me wrong i don't i don't believe in patronizing but i don't think mediation means patronizing at all but i really believe in the work of facilitation i think people that facilitate mediate um are bu building bridges uh, that uh, it sometimes is an invisible work but it's super important also right and do you see that as a field that has the potential to grow? I mean, it seems to me there could be a lot more of it being done. In terms of mediation? Yes. Totally. Totally. I, I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, and then you can give a lot of examples of how sometimes people cannot 
engage in conversations, but when you have someone facilitating the conversation, they actually get to a lot of results together. And I have really a, a lot of practical examples of like a difference between a meeting that is not facilitated and a meeting that is facilitated and how what, what achievements you get when you have a different group of people and someone is actually losing their time and energy in creating an agenda, in creating methodology, in systematization, documenting, promoting the safe space, promoting the atmosphere. And that includes including food. Someone that is looking at a good food that is going to be served, when the food is going to be served, if there's enough water, if people want tea, if there's enough time for, for, for people to relax, if the space is a place where people are relaxed, all of these change the energy. And also all mm. of these in, influence, influences in how people relate to each other also. Well, that is kind of a, a great uh, segue into my next question, which is, um, and you've touched on this, that one of the themes that uh, Prokamum focuses on is care and self-care. Um, which I think is so critical today. Can you talk a little bit about your work in this realm? Yeah, I mean, we realize that this is really, really a big part of our work because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is uh, we are situated in a, well, we live in Brazil, which is a really uh, uh, in, in an equal country. So you have extreme poverty uh, and extreme richness. And we are situated in a really vulnerable territory. A lot of people... Uh, we are really extremely racist countries, so we have a lot of people there with a lot of pain, with a lot of oppression, with a lot of abuse. And the people we work with, because of the choices we make, who are working with uh, uh, diversity of gender and race, uh, have a lot of uh, wounds, a lot of uh, sadness. Uh, also a lot of, of course, a lot of potential of creativity and everything. But I mean, we uh, the, the, the theme about care and self-care is really important. You cannot just do some kind of work without thinking, okay, how are we feeling? So feelings are really important and how we relate to them is critical to the things we do. And... And the other thing is also self-care in the sense of how can I take care of people or play or appraise if I'm not taking care of myself. And then in, in we see this a lot in uh, activists. So a lot of activists right. are like taking care of everybody and like going, working 15 hours a day and then they are burning out and they give up and we cannot afford to lose people. You know, we have to be together and we have to take care of ourselves and we have to put our limits. We have to, we have really physical, emotional limits that we have to take into account. Um, right. And then There's the an other... expression, um, you can't give away what you don't have. Exactly. Then you're yeah. not helping anybody. Also. Right. And then you have another level of it, which is the feminist perspective of care also and, rep and, and, and rep uh, reproductive work. So when you see like who is taking care of the house or the kids, in order to a guy go out to work, usually it's a woman. In Brazil, it's usually a black woman who is taking care of someone else's children so the white woman can go to work. So also the, 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 the reproductive work, so taking care of the children, taking care of the space, this is an invisible work that takes time and it, 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 it's, it carries within it a really story of oppression. Because if you look at the, so I, I, I like a lot Silvia Federici, and uh, the, 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 she wrote, uh, she's a feminist, uh, Italian, but she lives in the United States. So she, she's a sociologist, and she, she wrote a book really interesting, The Caliban and the Witch. And she, she, she retells the story of capitalism with the feminist perspective. And she's, uh, basically she says, okay, so when, when, the, when the guys were out there working in the fabrics for the period of accumulation of capital, who was taking care of the children? Who was having? Who was making the food in order for them to go to work? So actually, if you touch the woman, you touch the rock. If you take out of woman of reproductive work and the care work, then someone is gonna have to make this happen, because otherwise we won't have the future generation of CEOs. And this is really revolutionary when you understand. So I think care for us has different levels, and how did, how would we translate this into our work? So one of the things we have is a, is a project. We have a, a lab, a 
lab care. So it's actually a space of the lab where you can go and you have a lot of access of different therapies. You have uh, dance, you have uh, uh, um, acupuncture, you have uh, herbs and um, uh, massage. And so you have different uh, volunteers and people developing different projects related to care and self-care in that space. So this is the care lab, but we also talk a lot of in the in the space of I mean uh, if you're gonna do an activity, make sure you have food, make sure people, and make sure you ha you reserve time to actually, you know, take care of the space and like clean everything. And in, in, if you're not doing that, someone is doing that for you. Right. So really making it visible. Mm. Um. Yes. Well, it's very holistic really. Yeah. Um, which, you know, in so many sectors, um, you know, the, the element of being human is kind of overlooked. Um, now, um, Georgia, you've been described as an activist and a researcher in the fields of culture, arts, politics, and citizen innovation. What do you see as the three biggest areas of opportunity for citizen innovation within the realm of culture now? Well, I think, I mean, when we talk about citizen innovation, uh, this uh, I, the way I understand this is really simple. It's like citizenship, so people that are engaged into their communities, territories, uh, may it be uh, really local or translocal or global, really wanting to make change. And... Um, and I choose to, to use the word change and not impact because sometimes impact is really connected to uh, the startup movement, which I'm not against, but I just think that capitalism in itself has got to a limit. So I don't, I'm not sure that if we only talk about impact within capitalism that we're going to do like big changes. But this is something that is going to is a, is a bigger discussion. But so so civic innovation uh, is a lot of. Um, of people already doing that without even giving their name. So I really think that a lot of cultural agents are actually civic innovators. So when you're doing like this uh, pro a local project of a library with your community, you're actually making civic innovation. So we have a, I have a really broad uh, view of it. And I think it's really in in interesting that like, I, I know some cultural agents that when they got in touch with the concept of civic innovation, they started calling themselves as civic innovators or social innovators. And that also opened up opportunities to them to work with different organizations rather than just the cultural sector with the same funders, for example, or with the same international foundations, for example. So you have other organizations, other uh, foundations, other uh, NGOs, or even other networks that are working with a broader sense of what it means to innovate in civil society, and culture is a key, plays a key role in all of them. Right. Well, it's interesting what you just said in terms of, it's funny how, you know, what you call yourself or how you define yourself, you know, if you change that, you can change so much. Um, and it sounds a little bit like that's what you've described, that that people beginning to see themselves as not just cultural agents, but change agents. Exactly. Exactly. It's, and not, yeah, definitely. Now, to kind of go backwards um, for a minute, um, you've touched on this, but I'd love to just, and I know things have changed, um, and I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, um, between 2013 and 2016, you were the Director of Management, Entrepreneurship, and Innovation at the Brazilian National Ministry of Culture and Undersecretary of Creative Economy and Cultural Policies. Um, you know, um, I'm so sad to hear that that, that um, you know, that uh, designation or that function has been uh, taken away. And um, you know, my question originally was going to be like, could you describe what you did in those roles, which I'd still be interested in. Um, but, um, 
you know, maybe a bigger question is what it means that these these responsibilities are no longer, um, you know, being given the um, maybe the respect that they once were. Yeah, well, I think the we I I I mean the 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 years that the Workers Party were at the government, um, to be honest, more Lula than Dilma. Culture played a really big role uh, in like shaping the politics, shaping the image of Brazil outside, also but also inside, and shaping social cohesion. And for that reason, the public policies of culture were something that really flourished in the years 2000 in Brazil. And we actually got a lot of prizes. Everybody would say, oh, look at Brazil, how they are innovative in their public policies for culture. So I'm really, I'm really, I really, this is also part of my history. So we had a really interesting vision of decentralization of public policies and how do you, uh, instead of creating top-down policies, how do you actually first understand the different territories and the different communities and actually strengthen what's already there and creating ecosystems, networked policies. And that's something that we are, we we try to exercise also in the realm of creative uh, economy or cultural economy, uh, instead of creating these big, massive projects, also because we didn't have that much budget, budget, but also understanding the different ecosystems in different states, because Brazil is huge, and we have 27 states, and it's super different among each other, different realities, etc. And it was, was, was a lot of emotion, it was really I mean, it was super, a lot of adventures, let's say, uh, of a lot of limits also of the public bureaucracy, but also you meet really, really committed people along the way. Um, and what I think it's now, um, we're reliving a really perverse process of criminalization of uh, a lot of public policies. So the new president and the new government is turning everything into oh this is this belongs to communists leftists they're all uh, killers they they should be in Cuba or it's really what makes me sad is it's really the low it's really low ignorant uh, limited uh, discussion it's not about if it's efficient or no if change people's lives let's talk about you know impact or whatever but it's just okay let's finish with everything so it's really a political project of dismobilization of public policies and uh, it's really sad actually i don't know where it's going to take us and i don't even know i mean how to begin but uh, to be honest in uh, being really transparent with you, uh, I decided not to be reading all the news and being so yeah. close. So I'm really trying hard to, of course, whenever we have to mobilize ourselves, or, but I'm really trying to get energy from the things that I'm doing now, together with people that are doing things also, because it's really, really can be really energy killer if you read the news and think of everything that we built in the past. That it's, I mean, it's a lot of sadness also, to be honest. And even though you understand what's going on and you know that history comes in, in circles and that we're going to have 20 years from now maybe a new phase, it's still sad and gives you, uh, at least for me, gives me, makes me feel, makes me, makes me sick, like, like really yes. sick, like inside sick, like makes me really sad. So sometimes I just choose not to, to think about it that much. Well, I think that's probably self-care and self-preservation. And, um, you know, even with all the radical change, you know, nothing can take away from, you know, what you did and what you experienced. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, I need to preserve my energy and, you know, I have a certain threshold for what information comes in. Um, so I totally understand what you're saying. Um, now, to go 
back, I think, even further in your career, um, you were a founder of the House of Digital Culture, where you coordinated the research and interviews of the multimedia project Cultural Production in Brazil. Can you describe that project and your role and what you learned? This was a really, really nice project uh, that uh, actually was when I met Rodrigo, which is current my, my co-founder, my partner in Procomum. Right. Um, he was one of the uh, designers of the project. Uh, and um, my role was uh, head of research. So I we had 106, something around that, inter, uh, people that we interviewed from all different kinds of uh, fields in, in among culture and art. So... Um, Artists, but also, so artists like um, uh, really some people that actually died, so are really preeminent artists that were really old, that had nobody, that they had never been like registered. It's really a oral, oral story of the culture and arts in Brazil from the last year. So we had artists, you had activists, you had managers, you had um, po policymakers, you had funders, um so uh, really, 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 really nice project. It's really, really, really nice. It was my I I we we like to play. There was like our our MBA in arts and culture right. because so I was head of research. So we we we, we would create a file and every interviewer and like to actually extract things from their bios. And then I made the interviews that were for the internet. So we would we we spent four months in a studio. We brought everybody to São Paulo. We we made four interviews a day, and I was making the interview for the internet. So the 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 short ones that went to internet, and and then someone else's were doing the ones that turned into a book. So there were two different project products: the the books and then the the multimedia one. So I was the wow. interviewer. Yeah. Well, I, needless to say, I, I think that must have been fantastic. And, you know, what a privilege to, you know, record for history the perspective of, you know, these, these uh, people who are shaping the culture. That sounds really cool. It was super cool. Like you, like you are. Like yeah, you are. well, <laughs> yeah. And, and was there anything that you, you know, any big takeaway that you uh, – you know, left the experience with? Like, was there, did it, it must have filled you up, but is there? Well, I think there's one really thing that is a common sense, but for me it was super preeminent, which is the passion. Yeah. It's really a field. It's really, people believe, People don't choose it. They actually were born for it. Even like the funders, even people that are like uh, connected through bureaucracy with that. It's actually people that are, connected to it not because they chose to be but because they were born at some point or grandma or some experience or they were born with it but it was a lot of passion and and uh dedication you know uh yes so, i do, I do yeah. know well, i know I think it's a calling it's a calling and yeah and what a wonderful experience to connect with so many other people that share that because it's not universal um yeah and that's a springboard to my next question, um, which is um, um, you were, since 2013, you have been part of the Global Innovation Gathering Network, bringing together innovators and entrepreneurs from around the world. Could you describe the network and, and how people could get involved if they, if they were inclined to? Yeah. So the Global Innovation Gathering was is a network that was founded in 2013 uh, in in Berlin in Germany, and oh, it's really a lot of bunch of people, interesting and lovely people and passionate people from around the world, but with a big um, with a big focus on the global south. So a lot of people from African countries, Asian countries, and Latin America, but also some from Europe. Um, and um, they have shared values of um, open collaboration and uh, curiosity and social innovation. And a lot of them work with technology. So there's a strong focus on technology. Uh, but usually inclusive technology, open sustainability, 
And it's really a global community. We meet uh, at least once a year. Uh, we used to meet um, uh, once a year since the beginning in Germany in the same event that we were born, which is Republica in Berlin, which is this event of technology and society that happens in Berlin for like 11 or 12 years now. And we were part of it, and then we grew out of it to actually be uh, since 2017, if I'm not wrong, uh, we are now an NGO that is registered in Germany, and we are open for associates. Uh, people can connect us through Facebook page, uh, Global Innovation Gathering, or website, globalinnovationgathering.org. Uh, we also have Instagram, uh, which is also, which is, we are geek gig from Global Innovation Gathering. And for me, um, it's, it was really, really, really life-changing in the sense that I have friends everywhere and the way we connect and even sometimes we don't see each other so much or don't talk so much, but really when you need it, when you need a partner for a project, when you need some, some solution or a lot, of, uh, a lot of them have labs, some of them are technological labs like makerspaces, uh, uh, so much more technological than my 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 project, for example. But uh, this is also the 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 some are more oriented in working with kids, you know. Some are more oriented in working with uh, conflicted areas. So a lot of people working with refugee camps. But it's really a bunch of really really committed people in their own realities. Uh, and for me, I mean, I have friends that I really, really love and that changed my life, you know, that you, when you know when you really experiment how can actually love transcend borders, uh, even if you never like, and, and, and beyond that, we actually work together. So a lot of projects came out of it. When I first uh, founded Procomun, I made an international event and I, I called some of them to bring, to come to my event. So they contributed to it. Uh, and we uh, and we we have different projects that also came out of, of of this network. That's awesome. I mean, really, you know, if um, everything that you're describing is a calling, um, how important to be able to connect with like-minded people and um, give each other support, share ideas, and work together. So, I'm going to look more into that. Hi. That sounds really cool. Oh, sorry. Your Twitter page features a quote that says, everything is a remix, uh, which I, I was intrigued by. And what does that mean to you? Well, this is a this is a really uh, famous kind of uh, quote from the the uh, free co open and free culture movement. So hackers working with free software or people that are uh, into free uh, sharing of knowledge, and it's uh, I think it's really really intriguing because all of our thoughts is uh, uh, sometimes some, uh, the discussion about copyrights and and uh, patents is also about oh this is my idea and i don't believe in that there's no mine idea i mean of course you created or you have the idea now but you you created based on some repertoire that was made before you so if i'm i mean everything that i everything is a remix i mean nothing is new in sense of like totally new you 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 always getting something from even if you're not conscious doing that, you're getting out of everything you do, your conversations, you're looking at their streets, you're getting inputs in your, your mind and your brain is getting inputs. So everything is a remix. And I really believe in that. And you even have people that have making research about it. So this thing about being, oh, this is mine idea. It's, this is actually in the end really a bit of a bullshit. And, it, uh, and it's actually putting walls into uh, knowledge that should be being free and, and shared. Mm. Well, I'm thinking of a quote, um, and I can't recall who it's by. Um, I think it was like an 18th century literary figure, but, um, oh, it's John Donne. Um, you know, I am a part of all whom I've had, whom I've, whom I have met, um, you know, which is so true, um, you know, that we really are just an accumulation of, of all the interactions we've had and the, the people that we've met. So, okay, well, I, I wasn't familiar with the phrase, so now I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, Georgia, why do you do what you do? Was there a pivotal event that inspired your, your focus on culture and 
particularly on an open culture? Yes, but be, just before, just to to be to to because I forgot to say that everything is remix is also um, a series of videos that you can look in the internet, in the YouTube ah, uh, that okay. is related to free culture. So it's really interesting to to, yes. to, to it's about uh, uh, creativity, originality, and copyright. So it's also something that uh, it's worth uh, looking at it also. Um, Thank you. I'll check that out. Cool. And so, Meg, I I I don't know why I do what I do, and there was no like uh, point of uh, uh, shaping my. I I I. It's just my life happened this way, and I don't see myself doing anything else. And sometimes I even get like thinking about it, like. Um, why? What happened? And how did I become this? It was, I didn't plan a lot of things that happened in my life. Of course, I have to say that um, I wouldn't be honest if I, were, if I didn't say that being who I am in Brazil is, not, is, is being someone who is privileged enough to be born in a white family, which means I'm not a base of society, which is the, 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 the Afro-Brazilians. And I had access to private schools. Uh, I speak English, which is 3% of the population. I traveled the world since I'm a teenager and I went to university. So, which makes me probably already, if, if you take everything into account, I'm a daughter of a doctor and a psycho, psychoanalyst. So my both parents went to school. Uh, and university. I'm also uh, an immigrant. I'm a third generation of Lebanese. So it's not that there were, so it was a family that my family came from Lebanon uh, three generations ago, and then it all happened, but I'm privileged. And that means a lot in a country like mine. So if I'm not saying that, it seems that, oh, everything just happened in my life. It happened also because I had access to a lot of things that a lot of people don't have access to. But it's mm. also because I chose, since I was, young to work with cultural arts and social transformation and it was uh, was something that always came with me my, my parents uh, my mom is more like this but my dad is definitely not like this my brother is not like this and uh, a lot of my family uh, totally different from me and and then first when i i just began and then when once you begin there's no way back because the people you meet and the, the loves and the passion, then there's no way back, you know? Right, and when right. you see, you're already there and then you didn't even understand why you're there anymore. Yes, that's so true, isn't it? Um, that's a really candid answer. And, uh, you know, I think um, it does seem to take on a life of its own. You know, if you're, if you're, you have a calling, to um, connect with people, you know, in some fashion and to, you know, aspire to, you know, be your best and help other people, you know, be their best. Um, it just kind of takes over. Um, now, my last question to you, Georgia, is um, Best Cultural Destinations tagline is people are culture, connecting is the destination. And it's very clear that your work is also about connection. Um, in closing, could you share um, some thoughts with listeners about what connection means to you and, and you know, how to go about achieving it? Well, I think for me, um, connect, well, by the way, really, really good tagline. <laughs> I totally agree. And I think for me, if when I look at my life, and usually these moments like that we're having now, it makes me a lot of, you know, going back and forth. And I think connection is my is the essence of my life. Is the one thing that if you take me, so what, what what would you choose if you could describe yourself? So I'm people that I'm someone who likes to be connected, to connect, mm -hmm. and to promote connections. Definitely, since I was a, a little kid, and that's not that's also the reason why I went to study journalism because I could make questions to people and I could connect with them, but also put them in connection with other people. So I think that connection is, is what makes us, I'm going to talk about me. So I think connection is what makes me feel alive and, mm. um, and what makes me feel that there's 
every every day is a new day because now I met you and by, by meeting you, I have different things and questions that I'm making. So connections for me open new questions and having new and good questions is what keeps us alive because it's what keeps us going with looking for more knowledge and feelings and new experiences and creating beautiful things together. And um, the, the connections I make, they led me through my most amazing experiences, you know, of happiness and love. And um, we just, in Procomun, we have a, one of the things we do is uh, every month we meet to study together. So we always, we read texts together. We call it Circle of the Commons because we believe a lot in practicing and but also reflecting, investigating in theory. And we, re we read a text this week of... Um, Antonio Negri and Michael Hart, uh, wealth, uh, in English, I think he's like the wealth being, uh, something like this. And um, uh, and the, the last chapter of the book, they speak about happiness and love as a political and collective project. And I super believe in that because, I, I mean, we tend to believe, uh, we, we, we were thought that love and happiness is an individual project. Uh, uh, it's not. I mean, you can have, like, your love and your, your happiness uh, is also what makes us connect and wanting to create transformation, you know. And I right. think connection is at the core of, of it. And I might like you. I'm a believer. I mean, it, as long as we have connection, then, then people like Bolsonaro, they, they have their time, but they, they're going to have to leave at some point. You know? That's right. That's right. Well, I think, you know, connection is just so invigorating and um, it's what keeps us going. Um, you know, whether times are good or times are bad. Um, that was a beautiful description. Um, and I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to connect with you. Yeah, me too, Mac.